is from and how that plays out in our lives. So, um, so far we've talked about fellowship with God and loving God, knowing God. And so John is in Ephesus, we think, writing to the believers in Ephesus. And he starts off in Jerusalem, right? That's where the church kind of begins there in Jerusalem. And he helps with some of the leadership in the church. He's one of the key people. He's one of the disciples. But he's one of the key people in Jerusalem. But eventually he ends up in Ephesus, we think, because the persecution begins to break out. In 70 AD, Jerusalem is just kind of pummeled by by Rome. And um, a lot of the apostles got out of there before that happened. It didn't have to do with them as much as just the uprising of the Jewish people against Roman rule. And they kind of took matters into their own hands, and the Romans eventually won that out. So if you've seen movies on Masada and other things like that, that happened around that time frame, so back in those days. Anyway, John ends up in Ephesus. Eventually, he will. they'll try to kill John. Um, they will. Um, so we think that all of the uh, apostles were martyred at some point. Peter is supposedly crucified upside down because he did not find himself worthy to be crucified upright. Um, We think um, they tried to uh, kill John. They tried to poison him, but it didn't work. And so he ends up on the island of Patmos out in the um, Aegean Sea there, Mediterranean Sea. And so that's where he would live out the rest of his life. That is where he writes the book of Revelations. So, So he is writing to these believers in Ephesus. And we're going to pick up, we're going to kind of hit a few different um, portions in First John. We're going to start out in chapter 2, and then we're going to eventually end up in chapter 3. Because John kind of bounces around a little bit. He hits love like three, four different times in this book, okay? So you don't want to hit it each time. So Andy's going to kind of deal with that next week. So we're going to begin with verse 18, chapter 2. And, um, and before we do this, begin with a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that it is alive, it is active. And Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that makes it alive to us, Lord God, that you are still speaking to us this day. Um, And so in these moments that we have together, I pray that uh, you encourage us, you help us to understand your word. Lord, there's many people that read the scriptures and they know it better than maybe a lot of us do, but it doesn't mean anything to them. It hasn't touched their heart and their mind. And Lord God, we pray that it touches our heart and our mind and changes us, changes us and makes us more like you. We ask this in your name. And everybody said, amen. All right. Chapter 2, verses 18 through 28, 27. There we go. All right. So dear children, this is the last hour. So John kind of has this feeling that Christ's return is soon. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. Antichrist would be one that would be claiming to be the Christ, the Messiah. And so that was happening then, and it will happen before Christ returns. This is now, this is how we know that it is the last hour. When they went out from us, they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would not have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But as you have an anointing, so we're going to come back and talk about that. From the Holy One, from God, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. And because no lie comes from the truth. No, who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. So the church would wrestle with that. There were people, um, if you look at church history, they would wrestle with who Jesus was. Was he spirit? Was he human? 
And we know from Scripture he was the God-man. He was spirit and he was man. Okay? He was 100% both. Now, that doesn't make that equals 200%, right? But he became both, right? And so the, the early church would wrestle with that, those theological implications, though, right? Jesus was the Christ. He wasn't just a spirit. He wasn't just a man. He was the Christ, the Messiah. Such a person is the, um, that denies that he is the, or denies Jesus Christ as the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So the Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. As for you, see that you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will remain in the Son and, the, and in the Father. And this is what has promised us, eternal life. Amen? And I'm writing these things uh, to you about that those are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing, there's that word again, that you've received from Him, from God, remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. But as His anointing, again, teaches you about all things, and as that anointing, fourth time, is real, not counterfeit, just as it was taught you, remain in Him, abide in Him. All right? We talked about that that one Sunday. Now, let's provide a little bit of perspective here. So John is writing this 50 to 60 years after the ministry, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. So, I know, you know, if we're 50 or 60 years old, that, you know, that's our lifetime, right? Okay, and hopefully we live longer. But in the light of eternity or just in history, that's a very, very small period of time, isn't it? Right? But they're writing 50, 60 years after that. So they did not have a copy of God's Word like you and I do. Okay? Or they didn't have one of these that they pull it up electronically, Right? If they had a copy of scriptures, it was a scroll, right, that was kept in a temple or in a place of worship. That is where they would have access to it. Nobody had their own copy. That would be just rare. You would have to be very wealthy to own your own scroll because each scroll had to be hand-copied, right? You had to take from the original manuscript and then write it down. And we don't have any of the original, original manuscripts. We just don't, okay? What we have is copies of copies, and so they take all these copies of copies, they condense them, and they get it down to where it's pretty accurate and pretty sure. I want to just do a little brief history, and I want to bore you with all this, but, um, but just a little bit of history. So in 1500 B.C. is when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, okay? And we see that in Deuteronomy, Exodus, you'll see the Ten Commandments that are listed there, right? So that was God's law. That was God's initial law. They didn't have anything written, right? And so now they have God's laws or guidelines written on stone tablets, right? And that was to guide them. Well, by 500 B.C., okay, we're still in B.C., most of the 39 books of the Old Testament were, were written and were kept on scrolls, probably in the temple or a place of worship, Okay. And then we go into the New Testament. That would be compiled after that 33 A.D. The Gospels, where a lot of them were written 50, 60 A.D. Um, we think First John was 90, Revelation, and roughly in that same area, 90 A.D., okay? Those were written, all right? So by 500 A.D., the Bible had been translated into 500 different languages, but then the church at that time began to put a kibosh on that. And so all... Bibles were in what language? I'm going to test you guys. 
Latin, Latin. And so the only people that knew Latin were the, the priests. And so they controlled things. It wasn't a good thing, okay? They controlled things. And so um, only you, you couldn't go and read your own copy of God's Word. If you wanted to hear God's Word, you'd have to come to the temple or to the church to hear it, all right? And so, but also with that, the people couldn't study the Word of God for themselves and study it out. All right? And so from 400 to 1400 is called the Dark Ages, all right? And it really was. It, for, for the church and for um, history, you kind of see that it was a dark time. But then in that process of the 1400s, there was a great invention that was created. It was called the Gutenberg Press, yeah. All right? And with that, now you could mass produce books. Before that, they had to be hand-copied. Well, then John Wycliffe, also in 1380, made the first copy of the English Bible, all right? And he was called the Morning Star of the Reformation. And he got the first copy of the English copy of, uh, translated into English so people could read it in England and other places where they knew English. But you know what? You would think that would be a good thing, right? But John Huss, if you know some church history, he was burned at the stake because he was trying to get God's Word into people's hands. In fact, when he was burned at the stake, they used Wycliffe's Bibles at the base to start the fire, and he was burned at the stake. Martin Luther then in 1517, okay, he's one of the reformers along with Calvin and Zwingli that would, would he'd do the theses on the, on, the, on the church, right, because of the abuses that were happening in the church. And so um, that would happen, and we have the, re- the Protestant movement, so protest Protestant movement. I don't know if you put that together. That's where you get Protestant. They protested some of the things that were happening in the church. That is the beginning of the Protestant movement. And all that, you have the Methodists, you have Lutherans, you have uh, Wesleyans, you have all those branch Baptists, all those branch out of that Protestant movement. All right? Um, And then the Catholic Church would also split. You'd have the Western Church in Rome, and then you'd have the Eastern Church in Constantinople. Constantinople, so and Eastern Orthodox is still alive today. So they split over some, some things. All right, Tyndale. He printed the first copy of the English Bible. In, fifteen twenty six, but in fifteen thirty six he was also strangled and burned at the stake. Because of what he was doing, and he prayed a prayer. You know, there was a high cost to people really getting the Word of God into people's hands. Finally, in 1539, three years later, King Henry VIII would finally fund the printing of the English Bible, and so the tide had changed. But it, it was sometimes with blood in people's lives that the church went forward. Why do I say all that? Because when John is writing to the the Ephesian believers, and he says, you have an anointing to guide and direct you. That was pretty important to them because they did not have this. What they had is scrolls that were probably kept in houses of worship, but they were still highly dependent upon the Holy Spirit to guide them into truth. And as you can see, there was false teaching that was springing up all over because people did not have the completed New Testament, right? They had the Old Testament, but they didn't have all the teachings of the New Testament yet. And so there was room for heresy. And so they needed the Holy Spirit to guide and direct them. And so that word anointing 
I don't know how much you know about it. It's the word charisma, okay? So there's a publication that it comes out that's called Charisma. And in 1 Corinthians, you have the charismatic gifts, all right? The spiritual gifts, prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues, discernment, um, healing, faith, all right? So those are the charismatic gifts. But he says you have an anointing. So anointing was something that we really see in the Old Testament. So when Samuel goes out and and Israel wants a king, he goes and finds who's the first king. He goes and finds Saul, right? And he finds Saul and he, he anoints him. Takes a ram horn that's emptied out and it's full of oil. And he dumps it over Saul's head. You know, that was the physical part of it. But... A couple days later, Saul's prophesying amongst the prophets. The Spirit of God was resting upon his life. And so that physical act of pouring the oil, that oil represented the Holy Spirit. And it represented God's presence resting upon their life. And in the Old Testament, it was just reserved for kings and prophets, all right? It wasn't for everybody else. So when Joel says, in the last days, I'm going to pour out my Spirit on all people, It was very symbolic that, hey, now it's available to you and I. You know, Samuel would also anoint David, right? And Jesse brings forth all the sons, all the handsome sons, the older sons, and Samuel says, none of these are it, right? And then uh, Samuel says, there has to be somebody else. Well, there's David. He's out in the field guarding the sheep, shepherding. Bring him in. And he was the one that God chose. And God's anointed rest upon his life. And after his anointing, it is then he would go and take food to his brothers on the battlefield, and he hears Goliath defying the armies of God, of the Israelites. And he goes, if nobody's going to stand up, he says, I'm going to go and stand up and fight Goliath. And the armor was too big. He goes out with his sling and his stones, what he's comfortable with, and he takes down Goliath. You know, and as the anointing rested upon David, in your Bible your copy of God's Word, you have the book of Psalms. And many of those are written by who? David. His, that anointing, these prophetic songs were upon him. And sometimes they're written in times of victory and, and celebration. Sometimes they're written in some of the darkest moments of his life. But we still read them today and we find inspiration, we find hope, we find strength as we read through the Psalms. Right? He wrote these as the Spirit of God rested upon his life. So, what is our first point? The first point is that the Holy Spirit will guide you into truth. You know, that was very important for these believers that John is writing to. They needed the Spirit of God to guide them because there was false teaching. False teaching is still around today, right? But you know what? We have an advantage because we can go to God's Word. And so whenever I preach, you know, you should be following along with me. You should be studying it with me because if you take what everything I say by, you know, just because it's Pastor Brent, then that's not a good thing. I, you know, I study hard. I try to do what's right. But you should be getting into the Word of God yourself. You should be studying because you need to have those tools because if all you're getting for a meal is Sunday morning, you're not going to grow much as a Christian. Right? If you only had one meal a week, how healthy would you be? Right? I don't care how big that meal was. It wouldn't, it wouldn't carry you for the whole week, right? You'd be thin. You'd be gaunt. You wouldn't be healthy. We need to be in God's Word. The Holy Spirit will guide you. This is what John says in his gospel. 
So um, these are coming from chapters 14, 15, and 16. Chris is going to put them on the screen. John 14, 16 through 17 says, And I'll ask the Father, and He'll give you another advocate, the paraclete, the one called alongside to help you, and He will be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth. He's going to guide you into truth. John fifteen twenty six. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Again, the Spirit of truth, he's going to guide them into truth. John sixteen thirteen, And when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He is the Spirit of truth. You know, God has given us his Holy Spirit, and one of the, the significant roles the Holy Spirit plays in our life is to guide us into God's truth. And so whenever you go to God's Word in your personal time, I hope you have a personal time, morning, afternoon, in the evening, but when you go to God's Word, you need to ask the Holy Spirit's help to understand it. Because have you ever sat down to read it, and it's kind of like, I have no idea what I just read. Okay? Some of you have told me that. You know, we all have different IQ levels and all that. Okay, let's, let's set that aside. God has given us the Holy Spirit. And you can read this without the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And it's just a book to you. It's just literature. And there are people that do that. They know it much better than you. Okay? I'm serious. But they do not have a personal relationship with Christ because the Holy Spirit just hasn't brought it home to their heart. They haven't opened up their heart to the Spirit of God. Allow the Spirit to come in. Now, just as you go and say, God, just come. Make this speak to me through your word today. Help me understand it. Help me to grasp it. That is the role of the Holy Spirit to guide you into truth and we call it illumination. All right, so imagine yourself. Craig, dim the lights for me. Dim those lights for me, right? Even just turn them off. Just turn off that one set, okay? All right? And so then we're going to ask for the Holy Spirit to come, right? And we say, God, I need your help to, to see, all right? I need your help to see because right now I can't read it. Now I can, right? And the Holy Spirit will help us understand his word. All right, you can bring him back up. Amen. Praise God. Number two, let's look at verse 24 of chapter three. I'm just going to pick out this one verse. Um, he's talking, because we're going to catch this in that last um, message on confidence. We're going to catch most of that. But verse 24 says, this is, the one that ke- this is the one who keeps God's commandment, lives in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that He lives in us, that God lives in us. How do we know that God, you ever ask that question? How do I know I'm saved? How do I know that God is living in me? John tells us, we know it by the Spirit He gave us. When He's placed His Spirit within you, you know what? You cannot be saved unless God places His Spirit within you. You can't have a rebirth. You can't be born again. You can't experience any transformation unless the Spirit of God is within you. And so when you come to God and you say, God, come into my heart my life, we pray that prayer, forgiveness of sins, but you feel God's presence, you sense His presence, that is God's Spirit within you. That is a sign that you are saved. That is a sign that you belong to Him. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But it is the Holy Spirit that makes God come alive to us. He empowers us to live a holy life. This is what the New Living Translation says. I kind of like how they 
they uh, just rephrase it a little differently. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with Him. So the Spirit is vital to our fellowship with God. So we've been, we talked about fellowship. John is big on fellowship with God and with each other, and He with them. And we know He lives in us because the Spirit He gave us lives within us. There again, that we are His. So the second principle is the Holy Spirit bears witness that we belong to God. Amen? When you sense God's Spirit, that, that's, a, that's a sign, that's a guarantee that, hey, I belong to God. And I know some people here think, you know what, God can never forgive me or God can never dwell with me. There's no way that God can rest upon my life. You don't know the thoughts I have. You don't know the things I've done, whether you're listening or you're here. You know what? God's Spirit is here. And if we forget, say, God, come into my heart and life, He forgives us of our sins. He comes and places His Spirit within us. This is what Paul says in, in Ephesians. So Lizzie read up to, I believe, 12 of chapter 1. But this is what verse 13. No, actually, she read this. Uh, she read verse 13. It says, And you Gentiles, you've also heard the truth, the good news, that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, He identified you as His own how did he do that by giving you the holy spirit whom he promised long ago and so when you invite christ in your life and the spirit of god is there it is saying you know what you belong to god he's placed his spirit within you you belong to him you're his child he wants to have fellowship with you and if you miss that idea of fellowship that you know, I want, to, I want to know that my sins are forgiven so I can punch my ticket to heaven, right? I want you all to go to heaven. I want each one of you to go to heaven. But if we miss the idea that God wants to have fellowship with us, we totally miss the point. God wants to have fellowship with you. And you are able to do that by God's Holy Spirit. He dwells and is present among you. Amen? Just as God's Spirit resided with the people of Israel in the tabernacle in the wilderness and then later in the temple, now God wants to tabernacle or dwell with His people. He places His Spirit within us to have fellowship. This is how Paul says it in Romans. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God, and the Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you may live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father, Father, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And if indeed we share in the sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. So God guides us by the, the Holy Spirit. He guides us into truth. And He also, we have fellowship with, with Him and we know that we belong to Him. Number three, verses 1 through 6 of chapter 4. It says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God or not, because there are false prophets that have been put out into the world. So again, this is a big topic with John. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So there were those that were saying that, hey, He was just a spirit. He was the spirit floating around, okay? So that was a, a false teaching. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming 
and is now already in the world. You, dear friends and children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. They are from the world and therefore they can speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. By the Holy Spirit, God is equipping us and empowering believers to overcome adversity, temptation, trials, persecution, and false teaching. So the third point, our final one here, is the Spirit empowers us to overcome. One commentator says, And the cause of your victory is the superior strength of the one that is in you. Amen? He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. And sometimes we can lose sight of that, folks. We can lose sight of that in the thick of the battle. And sometimes trials and the temptations that come and difficulties, we think, man, it's just going to overtake me. But we forget that greater is the Spirit of God that is within me than the one that is in the world. That's the truth, folks. Satan's going to tell you otherwise. And that's why you have to come back to God's Word. You have to know God's Word. And you have to stand in the truth. Whatever scenario, God has placed His Spirit within us that we can overcome and receive the crown of life. That's what I think it means to overcome, is that we're overcoming adversity and trials and difficulties to win the prize. In every sporting activity, so I listened to the, some of the red-white game yesterday, you know, in, in any act, sporting event, usually has some adversity along the way. The teams that win learn how to overcome their adversity, persevere to win the game, right? They don't give up. They don't lose confidence. They keep their eyes on the prize, and they overcome. That is what we see with the Spirit of God. He's given us um, to put in our lives the Holy Spirit. I'm going to have the musicians come. You know, after killing Goliath, David is brought into the service of Saul, King Saul. Eventually, he would get out on the battlefield and they would say that Saul's killed his thousands and David has killed his tens of hundreds or tens of thousands. That didn't sit well with King Saul. But before that, he would come into Saul's presence. And by that point, Saul, the Spirit of God was no longer on Saul. It was resting on who? resting on David. And so it says that God removed his Holy Spirit from Saul, and actually there was a spirit that tormented Saul. And so there was times of the days that these evil spirits would torment Saul. And to get relief from that, what would he do? He said, Saul, he said, David, come here. And David played a mean harp. I don't know if it was an electric harp or not. But he played a mean harp. And so David would play his harp and he would sing. And as that anointing was resting upon the music and what David was doing, the evil left and it calmed Saul. The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God rested upon him. 
the Holy Spirit, God has placed him in this world to be our helper, to be our advocate, to guide us into truth, to empower us, and to bear witness that we belong to him. I want to close with Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, the prayer that he prayed over them. He said, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the holy, in his holy people. Did you know, sometimes we think he's our glorious inheritance, and he is. But this is saying that we are his glorious inheritance. You catching that? And his incomparably great power for us who believe. That's the Holy Spirit. That power is the same spirit that God exerted, his mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father, the resurrection power, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who dwells, fulfills everything in every way. Paul says, I pray for you. You may know him better. You may open up your eyes. And you may know the power that resides in you. Amen? God's Holy Spirit. His anointing is upon you just as the anointing rests upon David. He's resting upon your life today. So you can have fellowship. You've been guided into truth. And that you know that you are his. Amen? Would you stand this morning? lead us in a prayer of salvation if you would uh, if you all want to join me and if if God is speaking to your heart and life maybe you need to rededicate your life this morning um, maybe it's the first time but you just say say I need I need to be right with God I want fellowship with him this morning I want his spirit residing in me if that's you would you pray with us this morning say dear God forgive me of my sins be my Lord and my Savior and let your spirit rest upon my life. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. And Father, I just pray for each of us here today. Let your spirit rest upon our lives. Guide us into your truth. Guide us into fellowship with you, Lord. And let your anointing rest upon us, not only for our benefit as we walk so that we can overcome but this so that we can help others overcome, other people in our world, just to be an encouragement, to be a light, to show Christ to others. You've equipped us. Lord God, just to ask your blessing upon your people this morning, we ask it in the precious and wonderful name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God.
Denise is going to lead us in this closing chorus. Would you join along as we sing it today? Father, go with us this day. As Paul was writing to the Ephesians, he was reminding them of the power, the riches, the inheritance that is in Christ. May we take that with us as we go into our world this week, Lord God. Let us not forget that your spirit is with us to guide us. And when the enemy comes and says, man, you've messed up, you don't belong to him, that we know that when God's spirit is within us, Lord God, we may trip, we may stumble, we fall, but God's spirit is still with us. He's going to help us get back up and overcome because we're all going to finish. We all want to finish. We want to finish strong. We want to overcome and stand in the presence of God. And one day it says that the saints are going to be gathered around the throne and it says that they overcame by the word of their testimony and the power of the Lamb, the blood of the Lamb. And they overcame. And they're standing in the presence of God. And my Lord, my prayer is that that's each one of us here today, Lord God. We don't know what the world's going to throw at us. We don't know what life is, has in store for us. But God, greater is He that is in us than is He that is in the world. So go out, God, go with us. Have your hand upon us. We give you the thanks. We give you the praise. We ask in your name. And everybody said, Amen. Praise God. Greet each other as you leave.